Content warning. Today's story includes a character who, temporarily, endures thoughts of self-harm. You're listening to The Voice of Dog. Today's story is the second and final part of The Baptism is Long but the Song is Everlasting by Rob McWolf, who has decided that all his stories having the same theme is a good thing. And you can find more of his stories and poetry at rob-mcwolf.soferry.com. Today's story will be read for you by the author himself. Last time, Tiberius, taking the name Shen, determined to make himself a riverman and prove that his past and all the lawmen in it have no claim over the new version of him. But he is torn between Aitken, the shipmate who loves him, and Captain Fitzalmo, whom he loves. And the past may not be so far behind as he believes. Please enjoy. The Baptism is Long, but the Song is Everlasting, by Rob McWolf, part two of two, read for you by the author himself. Oh, when I was a young boy, the river called my name. Oh. Couldn't help but follow him once the river made his claim. Oh. Washed the road, dust off my feet, and bid the shore goodbye. Oh. And I will be a river man until the day I die. Starboard! Fitzalmo bellowed backward as well as he could without turning. Had to keep his eyes as far forward as possible. The Irene's good night needed every inch of visibility she could get. It wasn't just how the rain hammering down meant there was scarcely less water in the air than in the river, it was also that the river himself had risen considerably with the influx of rainwater, and they were being carried very much faster than they planned. At least the farmers had stopped complaining about the dry spring. Starboard! Shen repeated the warning back toward the tiller. In unison with Weiser, he and the muskrat both backed water on their oars. Sven and Natch would be driving on the other side, and Aiken and Cairo would be hauling on the tiller, but it had been over an hour, as far as the ferret could tell, which didn't count for much, since Shen had had the stamina to look up at any of them. Starboard! the captain bellowed again. He and Rufus swept back and forth at the landing poles like a blind man's cane at the bow as a last line of defense against underwater hazards, though with the speed they were going, what good would those do if the ship did bear down on something? Starboard, the crew answered, hauling their oars, hauling the tiller, because there was nothing to do but grope for the cleanest current available and trust the river wouldn't break them. Rain had soaked the crew's clothes till they clung and bound, and the only thing to do was pull them all off, and now Shen's fur was just as soaked, and he couldn't remember what being dry felt like. Port, yelled the captain, and no, he wasn't getting hoarse, because he couldn't afford to, so he wasn't and wouldn't neither. They were within 50 miles, he'd guess, of the confluence with the Mississippi, which was a bad time to not be able to see the river ahead, to not see other river traffic. Port! Shen shouted back, pulled his oar with burning arms and aching back. He could no longer tell if anyone else called with him. Maybe he and the captain were the only ones left. Maybe he'd look up and find himself alone on the boat, alone on a shoreless river, alone in a landless world, nothing left in existence but a lonely riverman and the clothes all his shipmates had discarded on the deck before they had been washed away in the rain. Starboard! shouted the captain. Starboard! answered the crew. Port! Port! Starboard! Starboard! Port! Port! It turned into a dull droning antiphon, like an endurance march at an aperiostasic church service, the kind where a fellow lost track of how long he'd been doing it till he couldn't even remember which was the last one he'd said and done. Was it starboard or port or starboard, starboard, port, starboard, port, port, port? Starboard, Fitzalmo yelled, 
And ah shit, the bank was getting closer much faster than it should. Where had this rain even come from? It had been a sultry night, even a little warm for the season, then suddenly they'd been drenched and scrambling, before the sun could rise even. What was the river playing at, throwing this at them? Starboard! Shen felt the Irene's good night lurch as it crossed a standing wave, felt his oar miss the water, felt the rain-slick deck slide under his feet, and then he was on his back. Too tired to move. Too tired to care if the water in his face was the rain, or the river closing over and claiming him. He felt someone shaking his shoulder. He didn't know how long he'd been on his back, but the deck was still there. He didn't think he'd lost consciousness, but who was he to say? You still with us, lad, came the captain's voice. Seemed probable, therefore, that the figure standing over him was the captain. Far as I can tell, Shen managed to croak. Well, that was a storm, Fitzalmo said. There might have been meant to be more to that observation, but for the life of him the otter couldn't be bothered to say any more. He reached down to help Shen back to his feet, only had the strength to get the ferret to his knees, so he surrendered as well and flopped to a seat beside him. Shen collapsed to the side, supporting himself on the captain's back. There was still rain in the air, but the sun was shining and the drops were lit like falling stars. The river beneath them had slowed, which... should it have? Wasn't like the water had anywhere else to go, even if the rain had passed. Something must have happened, like... Which was when Shen looked up and noticed the other river, the one they were now in. Wider, slower. The storm-stuffed Ohio had pushed them into it like a fist into a rising loaf, and now the Irene's good night bobbed gently, in a currentless eddy, until the two rivers worked out how to weld their waters together. Cairo draped himself limply from the tiller. Early bustled around the deck, dragging soaked, cast-off clothes to the line to dry. Aiken practically crawled down the ladder, almost managed to reach Shen, and settled for collapsing against Fitzalmo as well. There wasn't a single scrap of dry cloth on the ship. Nothing for a crew to do but lay naked on the deck and let the sun take its sweet time. Shen, purely by reflex, huddled against the captain. Hell, lad, you're shivering, Fitzalmo said. He nudged Shen around himself so he could put his arms around both his crewmen. Getting closer here. Aiken clutched Shen tight, and his body was warm enough and Shen was tired enough that this might as well be what he'd meant to happen. Now you see, Early said as he came by again, a truly experienced riverman knows the necessity of at least one fellow holding back so there's someone to stick the kettle on if and everyone else is too wore out. But then... I knowed, on account of I've been shipping on the Irene's good night longer than any of y'all. Early, you smug bastard, Fitzalmo glowered at the gently steaming kettle and clutch of tin cups. You're gonna give us our tea or talk us to death. I'm sorry, I must have not heard that, maybe losing my hearing in my old age. Did someone say, thank you, Early? Captain, why is he like this? Shen muttered. Wish I knew, Fitzalmo answered. I'll do it, Aiken's voice was muffled by Fitzalmo's chest. Thank you, Early. Why, you're very welcome. The Kildare poured a cup of hot, molassesy mint tea. He left it with the captain, who growled, You heard that all right, I guess. As he moved on to the next little pile of exhausted, soaked bodies. To the east, shafts of sunlight pierced the crumbling obsidian remnants of the stormwall. 
To the west, fragments of rainbow smeared across a dazzlingly white sky. In between, on a small boat in a large river, the ferret lay between the otter he loved and the beaver who loved him. He knew he'd have a thing or two to feel about that later, but not now, please, if it was all the same. For now, he had just enough energy to pass the hot cup between the three of them till their weary hands had stolen enough heat from it to drink, and then to let the tea within and sunlight without revive them under a gentle sun shower. And that was how Shen first met the Mississippi. Well, the devil's out to catch me, but he ain't caught me yet. Oh. He cross running waterless, his cloven hooves get wet. Oh. His lawyers and his landlords, the land they make control. Oh. But I'll stay on the river, and the river'll get my soul. The hold was full by the time they reached Memphis. They'd topped off with hogsheads of tobacco in Randolph. And the Irene's good night wouldn't have stopped but there was a figure standing at the end of the dock, waving a pink handkerchief at the passing river traffic. Why are we putting in? Shen asked early, who'd come out to dump a basin of dishwater. Informal signal. Folks doing that? The killdeer jabbed a thumb at the handkerchief on the deck, which was waving faster now its owner saw they were approaching. Means a passenger wants a ride. Bet you wish you'd denoed, huh? Would have saved you the trouble of stowing away. Shen ignored the killdeer's cackling and caught up a landing pole, in anticipation of the dock. From here he could see a beak, a broad sun hat, sturdy canvas pants, and a shawl draped over an enormous pack. Well, I'll be, Early grinned as her well-worn riding boots clomped up the gangplank. Maggie Heckaday, you old baggage, ain't I seen the last of you? Early Fenimore, the crow grinned back. She set her oversized pack in the middle of the deck, clearly relished the thump. Ain't you dead yet, you twisted old hunk of driftwood? Still swearing, Maggie. Well, gonna be time enough for catching up once we're underway. She waved a wing as if to brush the shore away like crumbs off a table. I certainly ain't meaning to cause any delay or nothing. Not! Fitz almost bark, echoing like a mad hermit emerging from his cave, though he was only coming up from the hold. Stop Shannon Natch with the gangplank halfway up. Till she pays her passage. In advance this time, if you please, Mrs. Heckaday. Well, well, Captain Fitzalmo. You ain't got no time for a little courtesy, the old lady smirked, like a gambler whose bluff has just been called. I weren't the one, Fitzalmo replied, trying to talk folk into casting off before passengers paid their fare. Any particular reason for the hurry this time? Oh, who can tell what sort of nonsense the close-minded business folk of a backwater like this? By which presumably she meant Memphis, the most populous place in the state of Tennessee, might start believing about an honest widow just doing what needs must to make ends meet. Why, they might start making up slanderous accusations to explain little shortfalls in their checkbooks. Best for all concerned if everyone moves on, wouldn't you say, honey? Seems sensible to me, Fitzalmo said. Sounds like you ought to pay your fare so we can get on, then. They locked eyes, icily, for a moment. Then the old crow chuckled, reached in a pocket Shen couldn't see, and came up with a dollar coin between two fingers. Well, I guess you learned a lesson or two since our past last crossed, Captain. My sincerest congratulations. Welcome aboard, Mrs. Heckaday. Fitzalmo took the coin and nodded at Shen and Natch, who were still holding the gangplank and they pulled it up and pulled off back into the current. So you got any of that special blend for sale? 
Early asked once Mrs. Hecaday had her luggage settled against the cook shack just under the overhang of the roof. I have heard it tell, honey, that smoking is an ungentlemanly habit. The crow answered, adjusting her son's hat. That's right, Maggie, and a fancy nitwit on any one of them fancy steamboats don't have a cigar shoved in his mouth, the kilder protested. I didn't say I wouldn't sell you none, I just said it was ungentlemanly. Ain't nobody ever accused Early Fenimore, squawked Early with no small pride, of being a gentleman. Only thing you got to persuade me of, honey, she said, is that you can pay. Which seemed to satisfy Early, who sauntered inside, presumably to fetch something to barter with. Freed of her immediate social obligation, Mrs. Hecate's eyes immediately flitted to Shen. Well, I don't believe we've been introduced, young sir. Shen glanced behind him, just in case. Uh, no, ma'am. Seemed like you knew early in the captain in passing. Oh, yes, seems like every time I need to travel, Irene's good night's the first boat as happens to show up. And whatever she meant by that, it sounded forward. Well, my name's Shen. If she was a regular, then probably there was no harm in her knowing, right? I, uh, only joined on with the crew this run. Mrs. Maggie Hecate, purveyor of almanacs, herbal remedies, and patent medicines. Charmed, I'm sure. She held his hand in both of hers. Well, shall we get acquainted? And that was forward enough that Shen was immediately on alert. How do you mean exactly, ma'am? He squeaked. Well, nothing elaborate, honey, she laughed. I just fancy taking a look at who you really are. She held his hand cupped in hers, palm upward, till his dark pads reflected the sun like polished stones. After a cursory glance, she met his eyes and said, Well? Shen was baffled. Well, what? Honey, I got professional standards to uphold. Maggie tilted her head back, primly, the picture of dignity. I can't do this for free, you understand. Oh, I don't exactly have any money. Shen said, relieved and ready to reclaim his hand. Don't get my pay till end of the run. I'll give a half penny. Aiken's paws landed on Shen's shoulders. How long had he been there? If twas your idea, ma'am, then anything ought to be enough. You're not about to do any spellcraft or nothing. Cairo's head snaked over the edge of the roof with every inch of neck at the heron's disposal. Ah, no, for a fact you don't got no license. Was the entire crew gonna come watch? Maggie sniffed pointedly. It's only barely going to be spellcraft. I know for a fact it wouldn't be the first thing that's happened on this boat the law ain't to know about. I don't recall you objecting when I read you last year, Cairo Marsh. And why, yes, of course, honey, a halfpenny will do just fine. She vanished Aiken's coin somewhere behind her ear, looked at Chen's hand, cleared her throat. Well... You got some complications in matters of the heart, I'd say. Oh, we knowed. Aiken grinned and squeezed his shoulders. Maggie was still deep in examination of the ferret's paw, and after a moment the smile slipped off her beak. You're drowning, honey. Shen let out a confused breath. Well, I am a riverman, ma'am. Suppose that's an end more likely in old age, considering. Hush, boy. I mean you're drowning now. She traced some pattern on his palm Shen couldn't see, experimentally, as if testing the temperature of a bowl of stew. You've been drowning a good while, I'd say. She spat on Shen's paw, cupped his palms together, rotated them halfway round each other. What are you doing? 
Cairo said. I said hush. Maggie pulled Chen's palm up again, lifted a pair of spectacles on a string around her neck, and peered through them. We might have been playing before, but we ain't going to be playing now. The feathers on the bridge of her nose fluffed up, and Chen felt something like cold water slide up his back, but he didn't seem to be able to move. There's two of you, honey, Hecate said, very serious. If the one dies, then the other gets to live. If the other dies, then the one dies as well. Which one is which, then? Shen said, baffled. That's what I'm trying to study on. Her free hand lifted Shen by the chin, turned his face now to one side, now the other. Then two fingers traced a line down the center of his chest as if feeling for a broken bone. She brought her forefinger to her beak, tasted his sweat carefully like a sip of coffee, then wet her fingertip and held it up in the breeze as she looked deep into his palm a third time. When she spoke, it was slow and strained, as if there was no small effort involved. You undergo the long baptism. Your blood is danger. Comes the time of its testing. Hold both where your heart wants and where your head would have it want. She released Chen's palm like it was a hot pan and stepped back, breathing heavily. Sorry about that. Early popped gently out of the cook shack door. Took a while to find me pipe. Ain't had much call for it lately. Hecate collected herself so quickly Shen's eyes missed the change. Well, you took your time, sir, but I suppose I got nowhere else to be. Let's make a bargain. The crow bustled over to her pack, fished out an oilcloth pouch. I'll let you pay in favors owed, even. I'm in a generous mood. Well, there's a river up in heaven which the angels fear to swim. Oh. And when God's on the other side, they cannot cross to him. Oh. they just hire a riverman, they'd find their way made straight. Oh. They're too high and holy, so in limbo they're gonna wait. I heard there's some fella smuggling folk as want to be smuggled. The sunset, for a moment, was just at the right angle to turn the steaming plumes from Maggie's cup of tea a vivid and luminous crimson. Stealing away slaves or debtors or just poor farmers fed up with unfriendly land. A wolf, tall, wearing a mask. Just turns up around dusk, talks quietly to folk. Then in the morning, whoever twas is just clean gone. I heard he spirited away more than half of folk from a reservation up by Fort Blush in Nebraska Territory. Army there never saw or heard a thing all night. One of the favors owed, apparently, included in whatever bargain Hecaday and Early reached, was that Early had to go all out and actually serve a proper dinner. For all the difficulty of living with him, the old Kildeer was an excellent cook, even when he only alternated between biscuits and bacon and biscuits and fish stew. So when he presented the crew with spiced rice and peas and baked ham and apple and raisin sauce, tasted like the apples had been canned in whiskey, but never mind... Then Shen was perfectly willing to overlook every acerbic insult for the rest of Early's natural life, which left his mind free to worry about what Mrs. Hecaday had told him. I'm sorry, it don't work like that, she whispered to him when the ferret found a spare moment to ask what she had meant. I know what I already told you, and no more. The captain seemed entirely reconciled to the old crow for her part in coaxing such a feast out of Early's cook shack. He sat by the small tent she'd set up against the cook shack wall, and how it had fit in her pack, Shen couldn't conceive, swapping news while Shen, on the tiller so Cairo could have a second helping, listened in. Where are these folk ending up? Incredulity dripped from Fitzalmo's voice. Depends who you ask, Maggie said. 
Some say California. Some say Canada, mostly of the tales of a runaway slave. Others say some manner of church out in the desert out west. Others say Oregon Territory. Now, to my mind, those are all just folk hearing someone's gone and assuming they must have gone wherever they last heard of folk setting off for. Only place I heard that don't sound like that? Some say an island in the sea, west of the Columbia, is where they're winding up. And, Fitz almost scoffed, does nobody grow old there? They got ancient kings who never died but were took away by angels. Are the mountains made of rock candy and the water tastes like wine? I suspect, Captain, Maggie grinned, you're a mite skeptical of this tale. I suspect so, Fitzalmo said. Look, it's supposed to be a wolf in a mask. So any wolf, or hell, any coyote or dog or fox, if they look enough the type, all he's got to do is put on a mask, and then who's to say the difference? Who's to say it ain't 20 different fellas? Nah, if this happened, and ain't just a tall tale, then this is a swindle. A distinct possibility, Captain, Maggie sipped her tea, but that makes it your turn. When I was up in Louisville, Fitzalma began, heard Stagger Lee's been up that way. See, he's kilt again, though those I heard it from weren't rightly certain it were him. That'd make, what, the sixth murder to his name in as many months? If it were him. If it were. Or for any reason, Maggie frowned when Fitzalma shook his head. It's a bad business, Captain. They say it's worse than bad business. They say at his last killing, someone, don't know if it were who Staggerly were coming for or someone else just wanted to put a stop to it, got to him first. Put him in the ground. And then the next night, Staggerly came right back anyway to finish the job. There was a pregnant silence before Maggie remarked, On the topic of stories I don't believe on account of they could be more than one fella, Captain, I think the man who's supposed to be dead still carrying out a murder comes in ahead of mine. Mayhaps it does, Fitzalmo grinned. Maggie swirled her tea, considering. Y'all hear about the McLaren's case? Shen froze. Couple of spendthrifts, weasels, I heard. Husband got a flour mill, lady runs a general store. Well, turns out they ran up a whole barrel full of bad debts. Heard some say gambling, heard some say land speculating. I don't suppose it greatly matters which or both or neither. Point is, the magistrate ordered their son to prison in their place. That, Fitzalmo was acutely aware Shen was in the earshot, don't sound fair. Way of the world, I'm afraid, Maggie continued. But this time the boy escaped. They're saying he disappeared, maybe up into the mountains, maybe to sea. Good for him, then. Fitzalmo kept his voice very carefully balanced, exactly between sympathetic because as a trustworthy riverman I do not hold with lawmen, and not quite sympathetic enough that anyone might conclude I got a personal connection. Maybe, maybe not. Maggie leaned forward for the juicy part. Magistrate ruled, since going to prison would have solved their debts, then by running away— Boy had in effect stolen from them an amount equal to the sum total of whatever it was they owed. Hundreds of thousands, surely. So now they's acquitted, and he's going to be running for that crime, too. And there's enough dollars written on it he's facing the noose, at least if he's caught. Poor fool likely don't even know. That's a powerful unfair piece of news. Fitzalmo turned, as slow as he dared, to make sure Cairo was listening. Well, it's been a pleasure going over the latest doings with you, ma'am, but I still got a boat to captain. Cairo, can you take the tiller? The heron looked up, 
saw the tiller was unmanned, looked back at his captain with wide eyes. But the otter's expression stopped his alarmed words in his beak. Uh, I, captain, he said instead, and headed for the ladder. Shen sat, curled up tight, arms around his knees at the corner of the stern rail. The magistrate had ruled that by running away, instead of going meekly to prison, he'd stolen from his parents an amount of money equal to the total of their debts. He stared down into the dark water behind the boat. Irene's good night, carried by the current, had but little in the way of a wake. Not nothing. The current still broke and refracted enough, so, in the lowering night after sunset, Shen couldn't make out his own reflection. All there was to see was the water, dark, restless, and hungry. The magistrate had ruled that by running away instead of going meekly to prison, he'd stolen from his parents an amount of money equal to the total of their debts. He didn't want to see himself, he didn't want to see anything to do with the pair of hypocrite turncoat Judases who'd made themselves innocent twice over in the law's eyes by damning him twice over. Even telling the truth would make no difference because the magistrate had ruled that by running away instead of going meekly to prison, he'd stolen from his parents an amount of money equal to the total of their debts. And why should it matter? It shouldn't make any difference to him. He was already never going to see them again. He was already never going to forgive them. His old life was already over and lost and done. Sure as if he'd died, this changed nothing, surely. Belonged to the river, didn't he? So why did he have to care? The magistrate had ruled that by running away instead of going meekly to prison, he'd stolen from his parents an amount of money equal to the total of their debts. He didn't even know how much that was. If every old peddler woman, or whatever Maggie was, had heard about this, then it was well known. It was in newspapers, surely. More than just the one pair of sheriffs would be after him. Those two whom he'd given the slip by stowing away into being Shen, there must be someone to whom they'd have to report sooner or later. They'd say where it was they lost him. Maybe some would think he drowned, maybe some would think him still hidden in Ohio, but it would occur to some, at least, to start looking at riverboats. He was putting the ship, the crew, Aiken, and the captain in danger just by being here. The shanty Aiken had taught him, and didn't the beaver deserve someone who could love him better than Shen could, bubbled up under his thoughts, which was at least better than the repeated realization that the magistrate had ruled that by running away instead of going to prison, he'd stolen from his parents an amount of money equal to the total of their debts. So he found himself humming it, not as quietly as one might expect, considering it was just to himself. Well, when I'm an old riverman, I'll roll down to the sea. Carried all your burdens, but the river will carry me. Where the river carries me, that's none of your affair. But every single riverman will be waiting for me there. And if you like to seek me out, you better follow there. Well, you could think of one way to do that. To make sure his crew was safe. No lawman or magistrate nor traitorous parents never got to say they'd caught him. And nobody but the river, in the end, got to claim him. Nobody'd ever really gotten around to teaching him to swim, had they? There you are, lad. 
Shen contracted further in on himself as the captain turned the corner, called over his shoulder for Aiken, and then took a step or two to squat beside him. I was fixing to ask if you heard the news, but looks like I don't need to. It shouldn't matter, Shen croaked. It shouldn't have happened, but it shouldn't, Fitzalmo contradicted. I don't think I've never been wronged as bad as you have, especially by my own kin, but I've been wronged and it stings, and I wouldn't have let nobody tell me it didn't matter. No, see, Shen tried to explain, it shouldn't matter because it shouldn't matter to me. That's the affairs of Tiberius McClarence, not Shen the Riverman. Tiberius was a sorry, stunted little thing who let folk use him up and throw him away and never dared say boo. Tiberius could have never made it on the river. Tiberius went and fell in love with the first man who did him a good turn in his whole life like a fool, and Shen shouldn't still care because it means he can't let go of being Tiberius the fool. The whole point of being a riverman was leaving Tiberius behind and if I can't do it, it means I didn't work and there ain't no getting away from none of it, and I'd be better off if I'd stayed put in jail. Fitzalmo put his arms around the ferret and pulled him close, gently, but very firmly. I reckoned if I could make myself a riverman, Tiberius confessed, muffled against the otter's neck, then whatever I was before wouldn't matter. But it does matter. I can't make it not matter. So I don't guess it turned out to be no riverman after all. Achilles held him close for a good long moment before he spoke. So this fellow who did you this good turn, if you asked me to guess his trade and I said riverboat captain, would I be right? The ferret groaned heavily into the otter's fur. Don't go accusing yourself none over that. You ain't the first riverman's fallen for a fellow he maybe shouldn't. Hell, I spent more than a few months to put the time all together... In the arms of this or that scoundrel in this or that port who brought me nothing but misery in the end. Fitzalmo leaned back against the wall of the cook shack. Part of the river's call, I guess. But I'm not you are. Fitzalmo cut off the voice from underneath his chin and pressed the other riverman's face securely back to his chest. You heard the call you done proved it every day since you set foot on my boat. You can't mistake a riverman for nobody else once he's got a good boat under his feet, lad. At least I can't. Now, I don't know about making whatever is in your past go away, because I don't know if no riverman ain't got things in his past which he ain't never looking back at, but don't you never let nobody tell you Shen ain't a riverman. And if Shen's maybe got a knot or two on his heart for his captain, well, he ain't the first riverman to do that, neither. And it ain't nobody's business but the captain's. Shen squeezed Achilles, like the otter was a tree trunk in a flood, and the ferret was trying not to be swept away. I guess it's maybe Aiken's business a little, too, at this point. But he's easy going with such like matters. At least he was when I was sharing his hammock. Fitz almost stroked Shen's ears. Speaking of which, get over here, you. He beckoned with a jerk of his head as his arms were occupied. Is he all right? Is he safe? Aiken's knees hit the deck with a thud. He leaned over both of them, arms out, but hesitated, as if worried he'd break something if he actually touched them. He's grieved, and no wonder, but he ain't hurt. That's almost flinched. A drop of cold water had landed on his cheek. Lad, you're dripping wet. I told you to look for him. Where'd you go? I... The beaver gulped. I don't know, Captain. I, I was scared, and then I couldn't find him in the hold, and so I just... I started swimming down sides of the boat and t'were too dark to see him there, so I kept going back and forth. Well, 
Fitzalmo said. He's here now, and so are you. No harm done. How about you go dry off and... No. Shin lifted his head from the captain's chest, grabbed Aiken by the wrist, and pulled him close. Stay, please. I won't go nowhere, Shin. Aiken heaved heavily atop both of them, fighting sobs. Fitzalmo sighed. Least we're all wet together, I guess. The moon was high and half full, and scattered a path of skittering reflections over the river by the time Shen got back in his feet and stretched. Sorry I made you all worry over me. Don't never apologize, Aiken pulled him into a less wet, still not quite dry hug, lifted him so his toes left the deck for a moment. For me worrying over you, I love you. You want to hear it from me too? Fitzalmo cocked an eyebrow in the moonlight. Thank you, that's considerate, Shen blushed, but ain't necessary, Captain. And I won't for now, the captain said. But there'll come some night, some afternoon, you do need it said, and Aiken's agreeable. I am, the beaver sniffed. Then you're welcome to come share a hammock or patch a deck or wherever I happen to be. But for now, I'm gonna go dry off and get what sleep I can, so I'll give you all some privacy. The captain left them there. Shen and Aiken leaned against each other, their arms on the stern rail, their feet trailing in the water. Under the moonlight, the river no longer looked turbulent or hungry. It was just the river, as it had ever been. There is something I ought to ask, Shen finally said. What? Can you teach me to swim? Maybe starting tomorrow? Ain't right a riverman not knowing how. The beaver looked back at him with utter bafflement. There's folk, he said, who don't know how to swim? There were sheriffs waiting on the dock when they reached Vicksburg. Captain Fitzalmo, the starlings shout as the Irene's goodnight approached was full of hostile exultation. You were told to contact us by telemancer, as I recall. As I recall, Fitzalmo shouted back, you said when you reach your destination, which it don't look to me like I done yet. Enough time wasting, sir. The starling snapped, apparently miffed his barb hadn't landed. You have nowhere to run, we have a gunboat blockading the river, sir, and... Is this why... An angry voice came from another boat tied up at the landing. You bastards won't let no one pass! There did seem to be an unusual crowd of boats waiting around the Vicksburg docks, now someone mentioned it. Enough that the angry muttering spread from boat to boat began to feed on itself to build steam and maybe even to... A shot rang out. The muttering died down. The bloodhound sheriff, who since the Irene's good night's approach had never once taken his eyes off the ferret standing on her deck, held a smoking sidearm overhead for a long moment, then slipped it back into its holster. "'There's a fugitive from justice aboard your boat, Captain,' the starling marched to the end of the dock. Less than a foot of river water stood between him and the otter. "'All you need do is put down the gangplank, and my colleague and I will be able to say you cooperated.' Get you some leniency. Your boat will be confiscated, of course, and your crew will be tried, but I trust we can arrange for you yourself to face only a nominal fine. Well, I don't know about any of that. Fitzalmo held his captain's coat by the collar, draped over one shoulder. You're more than welcome to come aboard, officers, but I already told you in Ohio there ain't no fugitives or stowaways or criminals on my boat. If there were, I'd know. Captainly authority was all well and good, 
But there were days, after all, when a bare chest and a riverman's lazy sneer got the message across better. You do know, Captain, that's precisely what you're being charged with. Enough talk, the bloodhound growled as he pushed past his partner and loomed across the plank Weiser and Rufus set down. He went straight for Shen. Tiberius McClarence, you are under arrest. Shen kept his arms crossed and his paws carefully still, only his tail tip stirred. I ain't, the ferret said. No McClarence. My name is Shen. I never been anything but a riverman. He met the bloodhound's black glass stare. Neither of them moved. You almost pushed me in the water, muttered the starling as he bustled up behind the bloodhound. The bloodhound said nothing. Ain't nobody by the name Tiberius McClarence on this boat, Shen said firmly. Well, the starling snapped, put the cuffs on him. What's the delay? The hound's jowls quivered. This ain't him. What? He's the ferret on the Irene's good night. Of course he is. This, the bloodhound repeated, furious howl creeping into his sepulchral voice. Ain't him. His smell ain't the same. Nowhere close, he cast about, nose trembling. Can't smell him nowhere on the boat. Oh, for nonsense, the starling stepped around his partner. We've been after him for months. Who cares whether he smells like the right man or not? He reached for Shen's wrists. Before Shen saw the sheriff move, the bloodhound had the starling's collar and lapels in his grip, had lifted the bird to his toes. You propose arresting what I know to be the wrong man, thereby letting the real fugitive still out there somewhere, my lawful quarry escape. His lip twitched, and just a tiny flash of cruelly sharp teeth appeared, like lightning for a moment. No, sir. No man escapes me. Bloodhound stormed off the Irene's good night, heedless of his sputtering partner. Oh, y'all are free to go, he bayed, disgusted, as he stepped back ashore. We're not done here, Captain, the starling pulled himself to his feet, dusting his sleeves as if the deck weren't impeccably clean. Oh, I think we might be, said Captain Akala Salamahum Fitzalmo, in a tone which subtly drew one's attention to how very many angry rivermen, on boats delayed due to, as they had just found out, a futile search for the wrong man and a false accusation against one of their own, now surrounded them and were leaning forward, just a little, in grim anticipation. Get the hell off my boat. Well, Early pouted. Well, what? Fitzalmo said. You bet me he'd be a riverman by the time we made Vicksburg. I didn't think he'd make it, but I swore I'd never let it be said early Fenimore don't keep his word. Fitzoma blinked. He'd forgotten entirely. But wouldn't do to let Early see that, would it? I'll be specting a jug of rum at your convenience, then. You'll have it when we supply up in Nolens, Early fumed, and left the captain with several very colorful expressions before he went storming into his cookhouse. You handled yourself admirably, honey. Maggie Hackaday hoisted her pack and shook Shen's hand when she could, as it had taken some time for Aiken's jubilant embrace to loosen. I declare, courage like that makes me feel like a girl of sixteen again. I don't know how I did it, ma'am, Shen admitted. I don't know what came over me. I do, she smiled, 
And Captain, thank you ever so much for the ride. But now I seen what I came to see, and I got other business to tend to, other folk to meet. Till we meet again, sir. Fitzalmo and Chen watched the old woman stride down the docks toward another boat, a houseboat, with a raccoon and armadillo relaxing on the porch. Then the otter turned to the ferret. Out of curiosity, how did you handle that? I don't know, Captain, really, Chen confessed. I just told myself when I go down, I was going to do it a riverman all the way through. And maybe the river took me at my word there. Maybe he did at that, Fitzalmo said. Captain, Aiken stepped over. Other boats say they want us going first. Now the blockade gunboat's moving. Other captains, the beaver grinned like a schoolboy, say it's only fair. Ain't going to argue with him. Fitzalmo picked up a pole. Aiken, you and Shen take the tiller? I feel like casting off my own self. The Irene's good night rolled proudly into the current. Atop her cookshack roof, the one in the other's arms, two rivermen balanced their weight on the heavy tiller. Below them, an old cook, still fuming, put on the kettle for the rest of her crew. And at her bow stood Captain Achilles Salamahum Fitzalmo in triumph. Perhaps not so very much triumph as the world accounted it, but as a seasoned riverman he was prepared to be content with whatever triumph the river sent him. The otter grinned, decided why not, lifted his voice. His crew, and across the water the other crews as well, joined the song they all knew without ever having learned, till it seemed the river itself sang. For when I was a young boy, the river called my name. Uh, I left my heart marked every soul will never more be the same. Uh, river, I will pass my days with the river, I will lie. Uh, I will be a river man until the day I die. Uh, I'll still be a river man when life has passed me by. Grave uh, it may be lonely, but it never will be dry. Uh, oh, I will be the river's man until the day I die. This was the second and final part of The Baptism is Long, But the Song is Everlasting by Rob McWolf, read for you by the author himself, which again featured musical production and backup vocals by at Sigma plus J Omega on Twitter. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a story you think would be a good fit, please reach out to at Doggy on Twitter or Telegram, and I'd love to hear from you. If you or someone you love is struggling with thoughts of self-harm, please, please reach out. You are not alone. Help is available. For the U.S., suicidepreventionlifeline.org or call 1-800-273-8255. For international, findahelpline.com. And thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.